This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and you're tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Big news over the last couple of weeks on IOC's announcement that squash and flag football will be making their debut at the world's biggest games, the LA Olympics in 2028. This comes after years of respective associations lobbying and campaigning for it and has already set the local sports community alight, aiming to make a strong impact at the upcoming Olympic competition. Zooming in into squash, by the time 2028 comes around, the top men's and singles squash players will be at their peak and if the recent Asian Games performance from the squash contingent is anything to go by, the elusive Olympic gold medal might not be too far-fetched. Joining us on the line, we have former national squash player and current vice president of the Squash Rackets Association of Malaysia, Sharon Wee, as we kickstart the conversation by asking if the inclusion has been a long time coming. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, dream came true for everybody, especially myself and the whole squash community. So when they announced like squash is in LA 2028, I was actually jumping at the same time, very emotional because as former national squash player, of course, it's everybody's dream, elite player dream to be in Olympics. Mm. So not, uh, you know, I celebrate, I celebrate not as uh, an athlete who is going to play, Although we were thinking, me and Nicole, like, eh, uh, maybe, you know, let's come up from retirement and play. Lah. But no, lah, we were just joking. So, you know, happy for the whole squash community. Happy that we fought for it and being recognised by IOC and the whole world of sports. Mm, finally being recognised, right? And, and, you know, looking at, you know, where we are now, 2023, next year's the Paris Olympics. So, five years from now, uh, we head to LA. And I will, is it wrong to say that most of the Malaysian squash players now will be in their prime, right? Siva Sangari, Ian Yao, for example. Uh, we stand a good chance at that elusive gold medal, don't we? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, we have to be very, very positive now that we got the chance, right? Squash is in the Olympics at last. I think it needs uh, the whole village like, to work together, especially in Malaysia. Our squash community are very supportive to each other mm. from um, KBS, MSN, um, Majlis Olympic Malaysia, includes ISN, uh, even like SRAM, Pusatan Squash Malaysia, I'm the Vice President of SRAM. We have already actually looking forward what's next for us to prepare our players. Hmm. And talking about our players, our top players like Enyao, Sangari will be in their late uh, 20s. Yep. So for squash, actually, that will be a good prime stage for them. A peak, and we the hope, peak. If you, yeah, a mm, peak. And mm. we hope for the very, very best uh, for our players. Mm. Have, yeah. you, have you been in communication with your players? Um, you know, how are they feeling at this time? Especially coming out of the Asian Games, which the team did really, really well. Oh yeah, fantastic. You know, it's um, one of the best performance from the squash team. Yeah. Uh, Enyao got a gold medal. And Sangari as well. And right. Sangari's story is just fantastic. You know, came out from accident, being injured and become the flag bearer in Asian Games. Yeah, and what a story. So yeah. To win it um, in five, uh, as, long, uh, as well as the women's team as well. 
um, they are ready, of course, you know, moving forward. And talking about Asia, Asian Games, just a personal story. It was a big celebration for me because I was doing the commentary mm. when the women's team won the gold medal. And in 2010, me and my team, Nicole and Vivian and Delia, we won the, won the gold medal. So I'm now in reverse role as a commentator and witnessing the greatness. It's just amazing. Like, I was in tears. Uh, but talking about the team, of course, uh, with the win, could win three gold medals in Asian Games. That actually motivate us further, mm. especially you know when we know that squash in the Olympics. So all the players, of course, celebrating, and I'm very sure they like. Okay, you know, I'm not going to retire. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll train further and then go for Olympics LA. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not the first time uh, that squash has campaigned at least, you know, for the Olympics. Previous bids were rejected for London, Rio and uh, the Tokyo Olympics. In your opinion, Sharon, um, what do you think inspired the decision from the IOC to finally include squash in LA in 2028? Oh yeah, definitely they are inspired by squash squash as an all-rounder game, not just by sports itself, mm. but then the community of uh, squash. And we have uh, club levels, we have school levels, community levels, social level, of course, up to uh, junior competitive and PSA, Professional Squash Association, which is the professional uh, level as well. And looking at our players, you know, the whole uh, players are very passionate. That's number one. And number two, squash itself is very, very interesting. Mm. We have four-sided glass court being played in all the iconic location. You know, even in Malaysia, in um, Egypt, um, near the pyramid, yeah. in Paris, in Shanghai, London, mm. just name it. And number three, of course, you know, squash itself as a sport, uh, it can go further. Because we want the whole world from a social level to competitive level to get together and grow the sports. Mm. And that's why IOC, like I said, um, in being inspired by that with the, uh, I should say, the players, the way how the players behave themselves and with how World Squash Federation have future plans for squash. Yeah. So that's why, um, yeah, we, we got in at last. Yeah, I think the future plan is not just, you know, looking and being happy with 2028 LA, but looking forward as well, Brisbane Correct. 2032, right? Mm. Um, how do you think squash compares to, you know, the other record sports that are really featured in the Olympics uh, in terms of its global appeal and also athletic skill? Uh, definitely, we are up there. If not the same, we are higher than them. I should say, obviously, you know, badminton has been around uh, quite long because they are popular sport, especially in Malaysia as well. Mm -hmm. We have tennis is being played worldwide. I should say that again, you know, in Olympics, obviously, I also not just look at the sport, just the sport itself. It's all rounder, mm -hmm. which is um, the commercial part of it, TV broadcasting the fans and all these. So it's quite commercial actually. Yeah. Uh, but I should say for squash, we can offer that. Mm. And the main thing is we are ready and the squash community from all over the world are ready to give our very best. Mm. And I'm very sure the players, especially Malaysian players, are ever ready to work much, much harder 
because we want that gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if not, you know, at least medal from our players and uh, we are very confident with our Malaysian squash players. Mm. This is definitely a big step forward for the squash ecosystem, right? Um, but drawing comparisons again to other record sports that have been included, not just that, Sharon, but you know, there's been things like breakdancing, for example, the, in the Olympics previously. Did you Do you feel the sense that squash has been treated unfairly uh, over the last few decades? Oh, uh, I shouldn't say that because I think each sport has its um, advantage, disadvantage, its strength and weaknesses. Mm. I think IOC, of course, together with World Squash Federation has sat down, you know, WSF has gone for bidding and all this. Mm. Uh, I think for squash, the main thing is we did very well. Although three times we failed to get into the Olympics, but then that is when determination comes in. Yeah. We focus where we want to go. And yeah, I think that's the best we can do rather than, you know, saying other things. We are already in Olympics mm. and hopefully we can prove that um, we deserve to be there much longer in other programs as well. Like you said, um, further program in 2032 yeah. in Australia. Mm. And Australia has a lot of uh, squash followers and they produce legends there. Exactly. Yeah. So we hope that squash will continue. And But the main thing we need to be professional and stay focused what squash wants. Mm, for sure. Uh, what does this inclusion mean for the, uh, the squash scene globally, you know, with Olympics inclusion? Definitely more interest, no, more newcomers will come to the game. Um, but not just that, right, Sharon, in terms of spectators, but also in terms of revenue, uh, in terms of sponsors, endorsements, etc. What's your take on it? Oh yeah, definitely. It will put squash in another level. Uh, whether you like it or not, we need the uh, Funding. Of course, yeah. Uh, to get better, mm. to go travel and to get better coaches, equipment and facilities. So that actually, number one tick for squash, even in Malaysia, you see, we are so happy because we'll be in Olympic programs. Mm. We'll get a bit more funding that will uh, improve us further. And secondly, when you are in Olympics program, definitely it keeps all eyes open, especially sponsors. And I think it's good as well because uh, we can't really rely 100% on government funding. We need to work hard to get sponsors, private sponsors to help us as well. Yeah. So being in Olympics, I think obviously they are looking into commercial ROI and all this. So that will help us, including TV broadcasting. Mm. So there are more interests uh, to have um, coverage for squash. But in Malaysia, all the TV stations... Uh, all friendly and supportive. Like, of course, BFM, thank you so much, <laughs> you know, for covering squash. Mm. And yeah, RTM, TV3, Astro Arena, they've been very helpful, including Bernama and many printed, um, what you call that, um, papers. Uh, they've been very helpful for squash in Malaysia. Mm. And again, um, you know, being in Olympic sports, I think on the whole commercial value, for squash will just go another big level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, on that though, what impact do you anticipate squash inclusion in the Olympics will have back here in our home country in terms of new talent, the development of new talent in Malaysia? Oh, it'll be huge because once squash is on in uh, Olympics, you know, the mindset is a bit different now. It's like, hey, I want my son, my daughter to represent Malaysia in Olympics. And even, you know, Kementerian uh, Pendidikan, Kementerian Pengajian Tinggi, they will have, I'm sure, 
more emphasize on squash program in mm. their co-curriculum. Mm. So it's like a ripple effect, you see. The yeah. whole ecosystem will go another big level. Mm. So more squash programs in school, in university. Even I'm very sure squash clubs, the club members and club levels will increase, including, of course, the national levels as well. Um, our players uh, right now, the seniors, and Yao, Ivan, Adin, Shafiq, and many more great players, Uh, the girls, uh, the women player, Aifa, Sangari, Rachel, Ira, they are the team that um, did very well in Asian Games, Hangzhou recently with, um, you know, uh, three gold medals. And I'm very sure that um, our juniors like Harif, Daniel, uh, Jun Chien, Joakim Chua, uh, Aiden Yunos and the girls, Ira Azman, who is part of the gold medal Asian Games uh, player, mm. Sevitra, Jishuan, uh, Doyce Whitney, So they are in the age um, that is ever ready to get ready for uh, Olympics in 2028. And um, myself, of course, as supporter of squash, former squash player and administrator now in SRAM as VP, uh, I'm very excited for the players because we have the senior players who are will be at peak in their end of 20s. Mm. And also the younger ones will be about, you know, in their 24, 25 years old, also at a very good age yeah. to contribute. Yeah. yeah, I think 2028 comes at the perfect time. But last question, Sharon, um, what do you foresee the lasting legacy of squash at the Olympics going beyond Brisbane in 2032? We want squash to continue to prove ourselves. And first, it starts with players. Mm. Um, you know, play professionally on court, uh, represent the country. Of course, for Malaysian, you are the ambassador of Malaysia play well, behave well on court and off court as well because you are the ambassador of Malaysia. At the same time, it will give impact to the whole world why squash should be in Olympics. And as Malaysian, I really wish that all uh, squash players, national squash players and aspiring squash players to continue to achieve further because we are in Olympics already. You have a chance to represent Malaysia and win the medals and if possible, the gold medals. So continue the legacy well because we have uh, represented by great squash legends and this is your chance. Go for it. That was Sharon Wee, former national squash player and current vice president of the Squash Racket Association of Malaysia, as this week we've been discussing the sports inclusion in the 2028 LA Olympics. Coming up on the program, we talk flag football only here on Barnan. Stay tuned. This is BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl and this is Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week on the program, we've been focusing on the recent news of squash and flag football, finally making its way to the biggest multi-sport game on the planet, the Olympics and more specifically, the 2028 LA Olympics. Flag football, the tackle-free version of American football, a sport that has been seeing a steady rise in interest over the years and it's no different in Malaysia. Just over the weekend, the inaugural IFAF Asia Oceania Continental Flag Football Championship was held here in Shah Alam with Thailand and Japan emerging as champions. Helmed by the Malaysian American Football Association, this week we're joined by its Vice President Kelly Kaur as we explore this recent news. 
I think uh, when I first started the association, I would have never thought to dream about going into the Olympics because Olympics is like that big, you know, international game that everyone talks about and everybody knows. Like nobody you ask does not know what the Olympics is. Yeah. Uh, and to think that a sport that I'm so passionate about and I love so much is actually considered for the Olympics, a sport that most people don't even know about yeah, yeah. Uh, is actually considered to be in the Olympics. I think that that is uh, something that was so exciting and, and it's like it's just a dream come true. Mm, I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm talking a bit about uh, the the reputation worldwide. Uh, I think the US, uh, the Americans, uh, they dominate the sport of flag football. Wishful thinking, but do you think Malaysia or rather other countries could, you know, potentially grab that gold medal come 2028? Actually, uh, you'd be surprised uh, how confident I am that at least an Asian country can get one medal mm. uh, whether it's Malaysia or not of course my dreams are that it is Malaysia mm. but um, after you know speaking to to um, Pierre Perche who's the president of IPF from um, the International Federation of American Football mm. so um, after speaking to him and hearing about how uh, the how they're figuring out the structure of the Olympics and how they're going to qualify teams I really do think that there's a lot of potential for at least our to represent our our race in that sense, you know, mm, region, yeah, yeah, our community in that sense, mm, mm. Uh, and I and I really do think that that we might be able to bring home a goal or at least a medal. A medal. So yeah. let's let's hope. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Baby steps uh, for the region. Yeah, yeah. And, and of you, course. you're in a great position to talk about this now, um, Kelly, because uh, just over the weekend uh, you had the inaugural IFAF. Asia Oceania Flag Football Continental Championships, right? That was held in Shah yeah. Alam. Uh, Deputy Sports Minister Adam Ali uh, was at the event and he mentioned that um, yeah. he's using this event as a gauge for the sport's potential uh, in the country. Thailand and Japan emerged as champions, but as an overall, uh, Kelly, tell us a little bit about the tournament. How was the experience like organising it? So I think the experience of organizing an international tournament is something that no nobody can ever take from you. That that experience of, you know, the sleepless nights mm. and the and the countless like early mornings yeah. and, and whatnot, just to get this show on the road. So for um, this tournament, we got a total of 11 nations that came down. So we've got, um, you know, Thailand, Japan, Korea, uh, Kuwait, even, um, mm. you know, Australia, New Zealand. So over, over the Oce- Asia Oceania region. Mm. And uh, to be able to host the first ever in Asia and the first obviously in Malaysia, I think it's it's more than anything that we could ever imagine. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so Thailand and Japan ended up as, you know, overall champions. But talking a bit about our national team, um, mm-hmm. did you have a hand, you know, picking the players? You know, t- tell us a little bit, you know, how what's the selection criteria and process like? Right. So uh, in terms of the role I play in the team uh, for the national team, yeah. uh, so I play the role of team manager. So honestly, if you ask me what I do, I mainly just do admin stuff. I just make sure that their stuff comes on time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think brains and, behind yeah. the operation could, could be, <laughs> should just say that. Say, honestly, <laughs> I would say the brains are definitely the coaches. I think the coaches are, are they looking at how they, they work so hard to mm. get the girls and, and the men and women to the position that they were. So the uh, selection was from April. So we started in April where we opened it to every person that plays flag football. You don't need to be associated with any team. Okay. You can just come down and try Mm. Uh, and we started with 150 people uh, and then we trimmed it down to 75 trimmed it down to then 50 and from the 50 of course picked the final 24 which then played uh, over the weekend Mm. 
So uh, from that whole process, um, the we left it up to the coaches to decide, you know, based on the statistics, based on their film review, based on um, their quality, their chemistry and all that. So that was completely up to the, uh, the coaches. And that was, of course, um, what has been agreed on from the beginning. Mm. Uh, and, and in terms of how they were in the tournament, uh, I think uh, I'm so proud to say that uh, for the girls who debut, uh, of course, our men's and women's debut, uh, and as a debut national team, uh, they placed fourth uh, over uh, over nine teams. Nice. And that would make them first in Southeast Asia. Because, uh, yeah, in the Southeast Asia uh, region, we are the, fir- the, hi- the highest, of course, in placement. For, for women's, um, you said, right? For women's, mm. yeah. And then for men's, uh, we placed uh, fifth out of 11 teams mm. and that places as second in Southeast Asia as well. Oh. So that can tell you in terms of, you know, of course the quality that they bring and and I'm just so proud of them like to see the amount of work that they've put in every Tuesday and Thursday they train every night after work uh, and, and of course um, every other day they have their SNC which is what we call strength and conditioning program. Mm. Uh, a strength and conditioning program to just build them as better athletes to better suit the sport mm. uh, and they do that every maybe three days a week and on that of course they do their film reviews every other uh, every week as well so that's basically like six out of seven days of like mm. on top of a day job it's actually more than a day job yeah 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 <laughs> yes huge commitment that one from all you it guys it is it is yeah, yeah. Uh, t- tell us a little bit you know um in your opinion what makes a good flag football player is it ex- ex- as easy as if i'm a good rugby if i'm a good football player i'm a, i'm sure i'm a great flag football player is that the case? Uh, not exactly. So, of course, having a sports background naturally makes you pick up sports a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that what makes you a good flag football player is, of course, um, being disciplined. You know, run when you learn how to do your routes. Routes are what offense would run. Uh, if you when you learn how to flag, which is what defense does, mm. uh, and when you learn the strategy and the 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 understanding behind the game, to be disciplined, to to put the, the work in, to, to work after training, to look at film, to, you know, look at other teams play and mm. things like that. Mm. Uh, I would say being disciplined and, of course, just committing. It's the, the commitment is, I think, what makes you a good player. And, of course, this would go across the board on any sport. Mm, for sure. But I, I'm a strong believer in, in discipline and commitment that will make you the best you could be as an athlete, uh, as a a flag football player as well. That's great. Uh, Let's go back to the news now. Uh, I think the NFL and the IFAF uh, have been pushing for the inclusion of flag football for a long time now uh, in the Olympics, finally succeeded in a vision they call Vision 28. Um, In your opinion, Kelly, uh, why why do you think the IOC decided to include it uh, in the LA Olympics? I think what made them include it is, of course, um, having it in LA, which means that they it's a, a country where American football is widely played yep. and is widely promoted. Mm. Um, so that's, of course, the first step. But I think the second step is also that uh, the inclusion of more team sports. But of course, this is my personal opinion. Like, um, I, of course, was not involved in the IOC um, discussions and whatnot. But uh, I would believe that the inclusion of more team sports that can co- accommodate to the amount of players that uh, within is that is within their quota, mm. uh, I believe, is the reason why uh, flag football is even considered. Because of course, uh, when you go into the Olympics, there's a lot of technicalities that go behind it, which is the amount of players that you bring, the the type of how long your game is, what kind of uh, field do you require, yeah. and of course, we're blessed enough that uh, those of which are uh, LA is they have that available. 
on hand, right? Because we play on a turf field as compared to uh, a grass field or even if it's a grass field, it's a very specific type of grass mm. uh, and things like that. So it's it's the ability to to have that accommodated within, of course, the timeline that was built, hence Vision 28. Uh, yeah. Um, taking it back and relating it back to us back here in Malaysia, you've been doing this for a while now. How's the infrastructure like for a flag football? Like you mentioned, you know, the grass needs to be a specific kind of grass. The turf needs to be um, two flag football's requirements, right? Yeah. So in terms of infrastructure, uh, we do use, uh, in Malaysia, we use the foot- football fields, like soccer football fields, okay. uh, of which they are turf with the Astro, um, I think we call Astro turf, which is black, uh, black pieces, right? Yeah. Uh, that make a full football field. And uh, one football field makes two flag football fields. Okay, gotcha. So, so that's how uh, we accommodate to our our structure of um, being able to accommodate to our sport. Mm. So that's what we do right now. Like right now, we literally just look for flag football football fields where we now paint lines to make flag football fields. I see. And uh, yeah, in terms of anything else, um, most most of the time our tournaments are. Uh, teams train in the morning so having lights is not the biggest issue but of course when we have tournaments that bleed into the night time then the football field also has to have you know of course the, the lights that, that are equipped enough to make people not uh, you know not be able to yeah. see yeah yeah of course um, with um, these sports inclusion now in the Olympics confirmed what do you believe it means for the sport on a global scale you know how do you feel that it will impact the sport's popularity and participation going forward so how I believe that the um, the inclusion of uh, the sport in the Olympics will help the growth of the sport is that it becomes, the sport becomes so commonly known. It becomes a household name. And, I, and I'm a strong believer in that because uh, having a sport become a household name is, is something I think every person in an association would dream for their sport. For sure. Because you, for example, when you say cricket, you probably know the sport, but you don't know how to play the sport. Mm. And you, when you say football, like soccer, everybody knows how to roughly play the sport. Whether you're good or not, it's a different story. <laughs> but you know how to play the sport. Mm. And I think that's the dream for flag football because if you actually break it down, it's not very hard to understand flag football. It's just that it's so, um, what do you call it, like elite or, or you would say um, uh, such a niche that people just think, oh, I don't know this. I'll, I'll just like learn a, a different sport. Right. Uh, I'll just go back to badminton. I'll go back to tennis. I'll go back to soccer, like football. Mm. So it, it's the dream is that it becomes so common that if you if you don't play it, you understand it. Mm. Or better yet, you understand it and you play it. Mm. Or maybe your kids play it or, or your parents play it, you know, because it, it's a sport that touches every age range. Uh, and there's no there's no discrimination in terms of, of who what, what age can play or whatnot. Mm. And we have, of course, in Malaysia, the, the landscape of an all-women's and all-men's uh, tournament. So it's not that there'll be any, like, you would need to go for ad or things like that. So it's just that dream to be able to be so commonly known that that people would more than willing want to understand more about the sport. Mm. And what is yeah. the association now doing, you know, to use this news, this piece of news as an opportunity to promote the sport amongst Malaysian youth, especially in the grassroots? You know, are you guys um, heading to schools and stuff like that to introduce the sports mm. to the kids? Yeah, so it's an interesting thing to talk about grassroots. Um, we do work together. We have a partner who is in a youth academy. Mm. Uh, so this youth youth acad- flag football youth academy, what, what they do is they run workshops or they train, um, they go to schools and they train the kids during their sports um, period. And uh, they they train them to, of course, learn the sport, play the sport. And they want it to become like, uh, you know, when you have uh, 
PGA last time in school mm-hmm. and you have badminton rackets lying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we want it to be that flags are lying around and the American football is lying around mm-hmm. and people just play that for recreational because recreational reasons. Uh, and beyond that, there's also, uh, of course, uh, including them in the sport in the sense of um, having, uh, we're hoping to have a state, um, we're hoping to drop into states in terms of going to different states and teaching people running workshops or uh, road shows in terms of how to play the sport. Mm. And of course, eventually work towards uh, having state associations within those states about uh, for flag football as well. How do you find the reception is so far? Because, you know, flag football was created with the sole purpose of, you know, um, eliminating physical injuries. Well, still injuries, mm-hmm. but not as much as, you know, yeah tackling full on right how's the reception yeah. been so far you know are parents willing to let their kids try out at least flag football actually um so recently we had a um i guess you could say showcase in uh, tddi for the uh Hari Sukan Malaysia. so we were uh, invited by the tddi community who was working with jbsn at the time mm. uh to of course uh, showcase our sport like flag football and um uh, according to to what everyone was saying is that a lot of the parents were just letting their kids just try out and and like no no worries no qualms whatsoever just letting them try and see and of course, un- understanding and explaining that it is a no-contact sport, so we're not going to be, you know, tackling your kids down. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's not going to be in that case. And even for the youth academy that I was mentioning, mm. uh, having the kids learn that, um, the what we've heard so far is that the parents are saying these are the highlights of these kids, like um, PE time, because of course, it's uh, uh, some of them are international schools, some are local as well. Uh, so it's during their, their sports um, sports time in the day and a lot of the parents have said that uh, the kids come back telling them that it's one of their favourite parts of, of their, that, that programme you know that's great. and that's something that we're so happy about because if they if they think of it this way then when they eventually want to come and try it and play it for, for um, as, a, as competitively then you know that they have the avenues to do it now because of course we've got uh, certain teams that have been established already that's great I mean it's uh, six uh, five five years to twenty twenty. So I guess you guys have yeah. your work cut out, you know, to get that Malaysian team yeah. uh, to finally yeah, get yeah. a gold medal. Hopefully, uh, for people yes, listening to this now, um, really interested to try it out. Never heard about it before, but wants to give it a go. Um, any advice or for you know aspiring talent wanting to get into a game? I would say, don't worry. Because I think knowing that, um, of course, when, let me break down the equipment that you need for the game, right? So you need uh, cleats, like football cleats. You need flags. Uh, and some people, of course, then get, uh, you know, gloves and, and mouth guards and those kind of things. And these are the extra things that you get later on. Mm. But for the beginning, you need flags and gloves. Uh, sorry, flags and uh, cleats and, and American football. But the beauty about um, the way our sport has developed in the country is that our teams are equipped with all of that. Mm. So essentially, you just need yourself. So you just need to bring yourself to any of the teams, uh, depending on the location that suits you best. Uh, because right now we're in the Klang Valley uh, so we're situated within the Klang Valley we've got PJ, Subang we've got um, KL we've got Sitea Wangsa as well so it's it's right now within the Klang Valley and all you need to do is bring yourself some sports shoes and just be willing and open to learning a new sport and of course uh, it might get overwhelming because there's a lot of different terms and whatnot which isn't common in any sport uh, but the best part about this sport is that the terms are so simple that it's quite literally in the word that they use like for example first down is quite literally meaning that you've passed the center line of the field and now you're on first down again hmm. so it's as clear as that so in terms of it's not as daunting as I think people think it is 
uh, and and how we play the sport is actually it's a five on five game. So uh, five versus five, meaning five offense versus five defense. A team at the moment right now is a total of fifteen people. Of course, you have reserves that sub you in and out. And how you play the game or how you succeed in the game is you win touchdowns. And how you do that is by drives. So what drives are is just essentially you have four tries to get yourself to the center line of the field mm. and another four tries to then advance to your touchdown zone. Mm. And when you of course reach your touchdown zone, you get six points with one touchdown. Mm. And uh, in terms of how you, how you uh, achieve that touchdown, can you go from being right in the beginning of the field and throwing a ball all the way into the uh, to the touchdown zone, what we call an end zone, mm. and and get a touchdown. Of course you can, mm. and we've seen we've just seen that over the weekend happen how many times, <laughs> you know. So it's it's very very possible for those kind of things. But essentially, you have eight tries in total mm. to get yourself to your to your end zone. Mm. There's more stories. Don't be worried about all that terminologies. It's easy yes, to pick exactly. up, maybe hard to master. Yes, exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. Uh, leading up to 2028. Last question, Kelly. What are your hopes for the future of the scene here in, in Malaysia? The hopes that I have is that people just fall in love with the sport the way we have and become passionate about a sport that has so much potential in this nation. I think that we have so much growth that we can do. Like the association is already set up. We've got teams that are running uh, almost independently. Mm. We've got um, leagues and our tournaments that, we, uh, that the association hosts. So the whole ecosystem is kind of built already. All we need to do is just get more people to fall in love with the sport and come play the sport. Uh, and, and we actually have an upcoming uh, tournament uh, in, uh, in the local scene, which is on the 20, I believe, 2nd of November. Uh, and that uh, tournament is is for the women, I believe. Mm. It's the women's uh, uh, bowl. And, and if, you know, any of you feel like uh, trying out, you can drop by any of the women's teams that we have already established and see if you want to slot yourself in to try and play uh, during this this um, uh, tournament itself. It's a one-day tournament and uh, we're hoping that you know we can do this every, if we could, every week. But of course, that's a bit unrealistic. So every every month or every at least two months once uh, having a tournament so that people just continuously become passionate about the sport and then the sport never dies. That was Kelly Kaur, Vice President of the Malaysian American Football Association and her reaction to the news of the sports inclusion at the upcoming 2028 LA Olympics. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's programme. If you'd like to revisit those interviews again, you can head over to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none. And if you'd like to get in touch with the programme, you can access at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl Ong and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week on here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.